You're listening to Liturgies of Life, the fifth season of Enacting the Kingdom. Here you'll be joining me and Father Jeffrey as we consider the wider implications of our everyday rituals. From shopping to social media to sports and to the so-called work-life balance, let's explore how the mundane aspects of our daily existence truly become liturgies of life. Political ideology as dogma is our topic today. Political ideology as dogma. It's going to be a heavy one, perhaps, maybe not. Who knows? Uh, but Father Jeffrey, I feel like the best way to start today's episode is by just expressing how I am seeing certain things happening socially in our in our time, in our day, uh, with, with religion, with politics, how that's all going. Uh, and then give you just a little bit of a theory of mine, and then you can jump in, let me know where I'm right, where I'm wrong, where you agree, where you disagree, and then throw in some nuances there as well. Does that sound reasonable? Yep. Okay, here we go. I think the entire world is going to hell in a handbag. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, well, agreed. <laughs> the, um, so the premise of this show is is that we live in a we live in a time in the Western world, at least, I do, uh, where we live in at this post-religion time where most people aren't involved with an institutional religion, or if they are, it's very kind of distant. It's, it's not as uh, central as it was for almost all people at all times throughout all of history. Um, having this, the, the, that religious institution, whatever, if all the way down to your little village or, or tribe or whatever, there would be this heavy, um, that the religion would be involved with all those parts. But we live in this post-religion um, time. But the religious impulse still exists, right? There's this natural need in us to uh, enact and embody these religious impulses. So we talk about things like sports or consumerism or whatever it might be. That's the whole point of the series, Liturgies of Life, is the way that these religious impulses manifest themselves in other areas of life. So politics, I think it's true of politics as well, but I think there's something perhaps a little bit more dangerous or uh, potentially dangerous about this, uh, this, um, this transition, which is we no longer have that overarching religious authority or that transcendent, but we still have the impulse to have an overarching perspective on how the world should run and the purpose of human existence and the purpose of particularly how humans should live together. And what has happened is that realm of the political, which used to be subordinate to this idea of the transcendent, has now taken on the highest role, right? Take it, been, become that highest pinnacle of understanding of how we are to live with other people. And what happens is that political ideology becomes dogma, right? It, it, it goes out of its the sphere that it's supposed to be in and enters a sphere that it's not supposed to be in this kind of transcendent sphere. And then we get these very big clashes uh, of political ideologies. So I'm going to stop there and let you jump in and adjust things as needed. But Father Jeffrey, so far, what do you think of this view of what's going on? I think it's a really um, accurate assessment, really, of, of what's happening. I mean, there's a sense in which 
it's a rather inevitable thing, right? I mean, just by definition, when you have things in a hierarchy, something is going to be at the top, right? Um, I mean, just make a list of anything. There's some, there's an item at the top. You strike the top thing off the list. Something else then has to move, you know, into the top. By definition, anything that's ordered, you know, has a as a kind of ultimate, you know, point. Um, and so that will necessarily happen that the people will place their highest value in something. But whether it gets absolutized in the way that you describe, I suppose, is is the the question. At our very best, you know, we should be able to say that everything within the imminent, you know, sphere, and for a lot of people today, that is the only sphere that there is. So that's just the, the, the sphere of this world, this, uh, you know, from, from your life, starting at birth to, to, to death, there, there is that is the, the frame of reference that you're dealing with. There isn't anything beyond that. There's no transcendent story or, or purpose or existence or anything like that. So you're only framing it in an imminent sense. Uh, it's not necessary that you absolutize what is at the highest level in that hierarchy of values. But as you say, there seems to be something innate in a lot of human beings anyway, that they have to dogmatize something. So of what if there's no like religious truth, some sort of transcendent reality revealed to them and that they're told is to be accepted, you know, without question or, or doubt, uh, then, then that does kind of rise to this level of kind of religious dogma. And so the strangest things can be put in, into that just because it happens to be the thing that's at the top of your list. And you're, if you're going to dogmatize something, it's going to be that. So you know, people will become really, really prey to something or another. We talked a long time ago about conspiracy theories and and things like that. Well, in, to some extent, they take on that quality. So somebody has decided to, you know, make whatever pet theory the most important thing in their lives, and then they dogmatize it. Well, then that be, it rises to the level of I cannot accept any evidence to the contrary of that, right? But if it is even just something that was an innocently held political ideology, and there are dozens of political ideologies out there, you can find all kinds of different options for a political ideology. But if it happens to be the thing at the top of your list, and you end up dogmatizing it, then it suddenly becomes the revealed truth, as you say. And, you know, everybody who doesn't follow that is somehow questioned or thought to be less than or so they get othered and then they get you know everything they speak is doubted they even become enemies they become you know the the kinds of people that we need to uh, decry and and insult and you know, so you get the development of all the awful parts of of the political and democratic system you know that we have today and and all unnecessarily i think because it should be possible uh to hold all of that, all of the things certainly that we have within that imminent frame, no matter how we've ordered them, we should be able to hold them with open-heartedness and and generosity and doubt even. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. The Bible even tells us to do that with dogma, right? So even if you have dogma, which we do in Christianity, we have certain things which are revealed truths, because of the layer of interpretation because of the humanity that's at stake in that, we've kind of talked about this a number of different times before, because it's not just a divine, but a divine and human project, this religious you know, story and so forth that we, we're, we're part of, even dogma shouldn't be 
incontrovertible, shouldn't be accepted without being questioned or doubted. Doubt should actually, even for the Christian, be an accompaniment to faith, right? And if you read the scriptures carefully, you'll find that that is the case. There's questioning, there's pushing back, there's struggle. Israel itself, the name that Jacob was given, means to struggle with God. And that implies a sort of anti-dogmatic dogma, right? So I'm not saying there is no dogma in Christianity. Clearly there is. There are things revealed to us principally in and through the person of Jesus Christ, in his incarnation, in his life, death, resurrection, ascension. We learn everything we need to about God. But even in that, there is a way that we need to retain a healthy doubt accompanying you know, our faith. So, so even dogma shouldn't be dogmatic, right? But to, I just wanted to you know, endorse what you're saying, that sadly there's some, there seems to be something that not only makes dogma dogmatic, but, but other things in the absence of a revealed religious truth can rise to that level as well. So, so part of what we need to push back against here, I think, is how we hold dogma, even if it is dogmatic, but whether other things should rise even to that level anyway, because I mean, here's the thing, the word ideology is an interesting one. And, and the fact that ideology becomes dogmatic in that negative sense is rather ironic because ideology was invented as an anti-dogmatic stance, right? It literally just means the study of, or the knowledge of the logos of ideas, Right? It should be a carefully considered, reflective, uh, skeptical, always open to change process. To, to hold an ideology is to, to be involved in a kind of scientific process of ideas. Right? It only became negative. Uh, so this was actually, it was used first in the, the beginning of the French Revolution uh, to describe people who were being more careful and prudent compared to the ones who had kind of you know, gone to the guillotine and and just decided to marry violence with the the movement for revolution and so forth. So the ide ideologists, as such, were the ones who didn't want to rush to extreme mob rule. Instead, they wanted to be careful and considered and and to look at ideas very carefully, a scientific approach to to ideas. Well, the one who first uses the word um, ideologue, you know, an ideology in a negative sense is Napoleon, who's pushing back against consideration and just wants, you know, tyranny again. And so it's, it's, it's fascinating. So to adopt ideology as a negative thing is to follow Napoleon, or indeed the mob, uh, into, you know, just chaos, right? So, so let's reclaim ideology to be this good thing. It means you've thought about ideas, and you, you considered your ideas, you're open to new ideas. And that's why I say the idea that in politics, there are many ideologies is a good thing. Right. And let's keep discussing. Let's keep debating. Is it better, you know, to have this form or that form or to favor the individual or the community? Or, you know, is it better to, you know, prioritize this or that? And different ideologies is that's democracy is ideological in that sense, in that good sense. So let's not fall into the prey of saying that ideology itself, you know, is negative. In fact, it was set up to, to oppose a dogmatic uh, way of doing things, just assuming there's one way and everything else, you know, needs to be, you know, ignored. So uh, let's have more of the good ideology and, and less of that, that desire, as you say, for human beings to just sort of make things to absolute, unquestioned, undoubted, incontrovertible truths that that just 
have to be imposed on the world. If you're not a patron of Enacting the Kingdom, you're only getting half a podcast. This show only exists because of an active community of people just like you over on Patreon. When you become a patron, you'll get additional episodes, live streams, and our ever-growing backlog of episodes, 66 at the time of this recording. And as we're social media free, Patreon is the only place to engage with us and others about these episodes. Go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom to join the growing community. One thing I've appreciated about our discussions over the past, well, two years, two years now, Father Jeffrey, um, have been some of the some of the hot topics we discuss on Patreon. Now, this isn't a plug for Patreon, uh, but it is. But um, the the some of the topics we we tackle have been these hot button topics of our society things like um racism or or um gay marriage or whatever these topics m- might be um but the way that you've we've that you framed it for us in those episodes is you know we we often see these things as having two sides but this sort of imminent frame, but you in these episodes bring the listener, bring me and then the listeners kind of out from that, right? Or maybe stepping back is a better metaphor. We're able to kind of step back and see where these ideas are coming from and, and, and lodged. And uh, like, for example, this difference between the political parties nowadays, like the, you know, conservative or the liberal or whatever it might be, that actually this is a very small sliver of politics, right? Like we, we, we're all, you know, liberal in that, in that wider sense, but um, I'm not getting across exactly what I mean here, aside from the ability to step out, right. And to step back and to not be dragged into some of these smaller ways of thinking is very difficult to do, right. It's very easy to get drawn into these uh, very, limited political ideologies for lack of a better word right now. Um, and I appreciate your ability to help us step back and see the bigger picture. Does that make sense? It does. It does. It calls to mind, um, one of my favorite, uh, uh, Pixar films, uh, Ratatouille, right. And there's the, the, the food critic, right. Who's asked what he would like to eat that evening in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And, and, he, and he says like, uh, after hearing a lot of something like overheated puffery, uh, you know, about you know, the, the new chef of that restaurant, do you know what I'm craving? He says, a little perspective. That's it. I'd like some fresh, clear, well-seasoned perspective. Can you suggest mm-hmm. a good wine to go with that? Right. And I think, I just think that's such a marvelous uh, quote because it, it, I think it sums up a lot of what you just said. You know, that, let's, rather than just assume the overheated puffery uh, that uh, on all these issues, is the way to go. And we just have to operate within those parameters. Let's step back. I think we've used that expression a lot. You know, let's step back one, one or two steps and let's get some fresh perspective on the thing. And that's, I think the, one of the things that this larger narrative of God allows us to do, if we really understand that our ultimate place in the world is is framed in that biggest picture of all the biggest canvas to, to put our lives onto that widest stage of all stages it gives us that perspective particularly as orthodox you know we're not even bounded by 
you know, we were in a denomination that started during, you know, the Industrial Revolution or the Enlightenment or the Re- the Reformation or, or whatever, you know, the, a limited history. Yes, maybe looking back to sources like the scriptures or whatever, but nevertheless, a limited history. For us, our perspective goes back to Abraham, right? And we can, and we, what we keep referring to in this whole podcast is, well, you know, when Abraham, when Jacob, when Moses, when when the the, the apostles, when the, the 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 in Byzantium or whatever, and so on, all those kind of political issues, we can't just sort of naively take the the parameters given to us today because we we know more, right? And I think that that's not a bad you know thing to to be able to do. And that's what I mean by the doubt. In case our listeners were a little bit alarmed that I said that even our dogma we hold with doubt and uncertainty, um, it's that we. This is the difference, let's say, between somebody who is dogmatic in that negative sense and who somebody who's not dogmatic. And I think that's this is the heart of, of the issue right now. It's whether you're open to new evidence, <laughs> right? Um, and which is just a it's just an acknowledgement of the fact that we as unique persons don't know everything. Right. Isn't that it? So uh, I took I heard it recently about this experiment that was being done to, to this point, right? About you know, whether people are dogmatic or, you know, innately or, you know, or not. It was really fascinating because it was a, you know, because people have been studying this issue about, you know, why is it that certain people, when presented with all the evidence in the world, still hold to certain ideologies, right? So, which wouldn't be properly ideology because an ideology is that study of ideas. So, therefore, they're not really studying. They are just dogmatic at that point. They've accepted whatever philosophy or viewpoint they, they have as incontrovertible. And they will not doubt it. They will not gainsay it in any way. So often that discussion about, you know, why is it people are like that just takes place within that political realm. And people have kind of wondered, you know, what, what is going on here? Why are these people not, you know, when presented with all kinds of evidence that their position can't be true, why do they still hold it, right? What, what is going on there? So this experiment that I read about was, was fascinating because it tries to abstract from that political realm. And what it was was just a random study of a bunch of people brought in and they were given two boxes to look at. And it wasn't at all clear, uh, the, 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 uh, you know, from their vantage point, from their perspective, as it were, um, you know, the qualities of the boxes. There were just sort of lights being displayed and they were to, to know which box, ha- they were to figure out which box had the most dots of light in it. So let's say dots, right? So they could see from a distance. It wasn't all that clear. They had a certain limited amount of information. They had to say which of the two boxes contain more of the dots of light based on their observation, right? And so they were asked what their their view was. They, they said it. And then they were given better information, clearer information, more information about it, and then asked whether they changed their mind, and some people did and some people didn't, right? And this was really fascinating. Then they followed up with those same people. And then they asked them about their their views on a whole range of things, political things, social things, philosophical things. And here was the thing. The people who refused to change their, their, their evaluation of the number of lights, even when they were presented with much clearer information that clearly showed one box had more dots than the other, they stuck with the other one based on their original observation. Those same people, interestingly, were the ones who held the most dogmatic 
you know, doubtless incontrovertible beliefs about a whole range of things, whether it was religion or politics or philosophy or, or other social issues or, or whatever. And so there does seem to be an issue with a certain kind of human being, right? And I, and I think it does, when I heard this, I sort of changed my um, perspective, you know, well, certainly from one of, am I going to waste time just presenting better in, information to people who hold weird ideas, right? It seems to be that there is a certain kind of human being that is just always and everywhere going to go to this way of uh, of thinking. And so I'm not leaving you with a solution here because these, you know, this was a recent experiment and they haven't quite figured out what this means and, and how then to address it, you know, but it does seem to just suggest that certain personality types or whatever just need to have this absolute certainty in realms, you know, within their life, right? Maybe it's, it's a, it's anxiety driving it, or maybe it's just this desire to have some solid ground on which to stand, but whatever it is they, they hear or experience first seems to be what they stick with regardless of what comes later. And so maybe part of the solution though, is for those of us who, who don't necessarily have that personality type, to, to really emphasize that we have a way of holding everything in our lives in a way that is more open and generous and, and you know, malleable based on new information, based on, on new insights and so forth. I mean, just to take this into the, the purely theological, you know, realm or whatever, even those dogmas of the fourth century, and this is what in the big century of, of our Orthodox dogmas, because really everything we, we kind of dogmatized came from then, right? So it's the Trinity, the, the incarnation, um, you know, the absolutely declaring the resurrection of Christ, the virgin birth as, as dogmas. That's what's in the creeds that we have from, from the fourth century. Even those things are open to new information in the sense that you know, there were splits in the church at the time in the fourth and fifth century. And, and the big one, obviously, Eastern and Oriental Orthodox. And what happened by the end of the 20th century, so some 15 centuries later, was that in talking things through, this long-standing divide between Oriental Orthodox that includes, you know, groups like the Coptic Orthodox, Armenians and Syro-Jacobites and so forth, and the, the Byzantine or Eastern Orthodox, you know, those of us who are in the Greek or Ukrainian or Serbian or, or Antiochian churches and so forth, that division was not a real division. It was a semantic division. It was to do with the way that things got expressed in, in languages. So it's in that sense that we need to hold even dogmas with doubt, even dogmas with some uncertainty, even dogmas knowing that the words themselves can't actually contain, you know, the truths that they say that they contain, right? That that even in the fourth century Greek, if you could speak that today, that they're, they're not perfect representations of truth, right? So, so if we can somehow mirror that as Christians to the world and not be so, you know, dogmatic in that negative sense all the time, which is putting people off and and moreover, strengthening other people in a kind of dogmatism. I don't think there's any call for that level of dogmatism. And if we can mirror that or model that in a way to the world, maybe there's some hope for those people who are susceptible to that way of thinking somehow. Yeah, I find us Orthodox, some of us really get dragged down into the mire of certain political issues. One thing to say is lots of political issues in our society are are genuinely really important. 
and there are degrees that we should get involved with it depending on our situation and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not saying we shouldn't get involved in anything that's political, but um, often the rhetoric we use or the uh, it's like you walk into a room and there are two people arguing and they're arguing and then they say, okay, you have to get in here. And then instead of saying, okay, let me hold, let me hold, let me take a step back and try and understand this whole thing. We just decide to take on one side and join that person in their argument. And we think that that's our, our way of joining the political sphere, right? That we take on that kind of, ideology in the negative sense. Um, so, you know, I, I find one of the, I guess, problems that I see uh, within uh, orthodoxy is that some people, instead of having that larger view of what's going on and then getting involved in that argument or that situation, it's we feel that the only way to get involved is by joining, quote unquote, one side or the other. And we think that that's the church's side. Uh, And then the church gets dragged down into that sphere. Well, as I say, it's a function of starting from, you know, even our churchly things, our churchly beliefs in the wrong sense, right? So if you've come at the world from a perspective that we have the truth, you know, we have found the true faith, seen the light, and that we hold that in, in, in perfect containers and perfect expressions, right? And without doubt, without question, without nuance, without, hmm, maybe there's a different way of expressing this that someone else has, and maybe we're talking about the same thing after all. Without any of that, we absolutely have the God-given truths. Well, you then go out into the world, first of all, with the God-given authority to impose that or to proclaim that to the world, that becomes the the mission of the church somehow. But then you get drawn into important, as you say, issues like politics and society and everything. And you're bound to then fall into the trap of engaging with that on the same basis, right? You're going to say that the implication of what we have been given in this absolute perfect sense and we hold these things to be true, well, then that's going to kind of have this ripple effect across every domain that we get involved in. So if the church says something like, you know, uh, life issues in, within the political realm are important, um, then those have to be tackled in the same dogmatic fashion, if that makes sense. You know, whereas things that are, you know, maybe less important, you could have some room for maneuver or whatever. But But you're right, all too many people who fall into that very, very... Uh, absolutist form of holding their their theology, they're naturally going to think that there are political implications to that 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 are held just as absolutely, and there's no room for for discussion, you know, on those things. And I just I see this again and again and again, and you get these weird distortions, and and lack of perspective. As I say, the the, the big thing here is being able to step back and say, hang on a minute, are you sure? you know, about that. Like the, um, there was a discussion not too long ago on, um, on a podcast on, in that other place, uh, we don't speak of them, ancient faith. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, and I happened to hear it. Um, and it was, uh, about the question of family values, right. It was a fascinating discussion because you had you know, two, two priests, both of the OCA actually. Um, and, you know, one of them was trying to get the other to, to endorse this idea of family values, 
right? That was what the topic was, right? And so family values, this is something that the Bible supports, doesn't it? Family values. <laughs> and it was funny because uh, the other priest who knows a lot about the Bible was saying, well, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> we see like multiple marriages, we see very complicated multi-generational families, we see, you know, there's there's nothing that mm-hmm, passes mm-hmm. for the the kind of modern, very modern, you know, evangelical, fundamentalist, you know, American view of family values. In fact, I would want to push back even more and say that the idolization of the family and the, in, and the individual family unit is a massive distortion of, of Christianity anyway, right? So perspective would say, no, the idea that you are separate in an independent unit and there's a, you know, just the husband and the wife and the children and, and you don't, you know, that that is the absolute most important thing and, and all political social decisions need to be made with that in mind that's not christianity christianity was about you know our new family is the body of christ and and that all christians are our brothers and sisters and we look out for one another and and particularly the most vulnerable in our midst it's not about absolutizing the family or these family values or whatever so it's a very curious discussion that was had on this podcast in the end you know the the one who was hosting it kind of won out in the sense of saying okay well you at least agree, agree to these things and everything but it, anyway I, uh, I get off topic a little bit there but i it, but this is an example you know of this of saying that we have to absolutize something in the political and social realm because we have some sort of absolute idea of, of what our faith is come back have a little bit of perspective and you suddenly see almost every issue is not quite so straightforward almost every issue has has nuance and 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 degrees of, of 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 ways in which we, we need to to kind of think about different things or get involved, you know, in, in different ways. There's there isn't really a right and a wrong on, on many of of these topics once you understand that even our cherished church dogmas are actually held with with perspective, with nuance, and, with and this with is um, one of the reasons why when Jesus was asked particularly about right and wrong things like do we do this or do we do this he's like well let me tell you a story <laughs> right well, that yeah he never gives a straight answer to that because it's right. perspective because it's you know absolutely the sabbath is important right absolutely he was a torah observant jew in the best way but was the sabbath made for man or was man made for the sabbath i mean th- this is what has to be asked that's the perspective that we're talking about right that you know you're not going to cause harm to people just to keep, you know, the Sabbath. And again and again and again, I think that model, actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because it should have gone right there first, but that model of holding the most true things with perspective (laughs) is, I think, the model that we need to have. And ultimately, as I said earlier, that is what ideology is. In In the proper original sense, it was about being able to consider things and to have perspective and to introduce nuance and and to say we're open to the new and to 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 um to other people and we want to bring as many people you know along this journey as possible and it's not about imposing some sort of rigid dogma and absolute view onto anybody thanks for listening i'm father yuri gladio an orthodox christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning and i'm joined on this show by my teacher and friend father jeffrey reddy Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. Come connect with us on Patreon with any thoughts and follow-ups about this episode. We look forward to seeing you next time.